the uh, change in the bulletin is not a misprint. I changed my mind. That's my prerogative and what I was going to preach. And I wanted to stay with the subject of humility as we looked at that in uh, the uh, book of James. Look at it today in the book of Philippians, which gives a bit more detailed expression of how it is that we are able to live our lives in humility as we stand before others in the church and as we stand also as individuals in the world. So from the book of Philippians, the second chapter, uh, the first four verses, would you please stand for the reading of God's word this morning? Start our reading in chapter 1 and verse 27 and read down through verse 4 of chapter 2. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit and affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others as more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also in the interest of others. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go ahead and pray. I would ask you to pray for me as I try to preach this text and pray for yourselves if you sit on the proclamation of God's word this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, as we assemble uh, today uh, for uh, this aspect of service, the proclamation of your word, we pray, O God, that you would take away any unbelief any hardness of heart, anything in us that would cause us to react against uh, the Scriptures. And pray, O oh God, that where there is the need for conviction, that you would grant that conviction. And where there is the need for comfort, O oh Lord, that you would grant that as well. O oh Father, bless us, we ask. Be with me as I preach. Help your people to hear, to concentrate. And pray that our, your word would be changing all of us this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Some years ago, uh, Jerry Bridges, who was a PCA elder, he has gone to glory. A writer of several books wrote a book called Respectable Sins. What are respectable sins? In short, in reality, they are sins that we allow in our lives, and we do not really struggle against them. And certainly, uh, we understand that there are those big sins, adultery, murder, theft, all kinds of things like that that we could aim the big sins. We would all agree that those things are wrong. But the others that we have in our lives that we accept, 
they do not bring us quite as much discomfort. And so those sins that we cling to become an expression of who we are. And this morning in particular, I think about the one of pride. Pride is in all of us. All of us deal with pride in one level or another. And God hates it. It is that pride was behind the first sin that was committed in the world. As Adam and Eve rebelled against the Lord. And it is in this text this morning that the Apostle Paul deals with the issue of pride and that of humility. So that the church may strive together in unity. A lack of pride in the church, always, a lack of humility in the church, excuse me, always results in division. It always results in problems. And so have us to see this this morning. And because God calls us to be united in the church, he calls us to be uh, towing the same way, if you will, for the cause of the gospel. It's well worthwhile for us to put on humility. We can, by his grace, practice humility. It's not something that comes natural to us. Indeed, it is something that is contrary to the sinful nature that we have. And it's one of those things, I think, that we tend to accept in our lives and perhaps even excuse. This morning, we will see what the uh, what Paul says about it here in this text. And three things that true Christian unity calls for living out the graces that are ours in Christ Jesus. The second thing uh, that true, Christ, uh, true Christian unity calls for unity of thought. And the last thing is that true Christian unity calls for living selflessly. And that perhaps is the most difficult one, to live selflessly. First thing then. A true Christian unity calls for living out those graces that we received at our conversion. Uh, Paul here states a a condition that they have because they are converted. It is something that uh, is true of them, that all of them express and have these things in their lives that he mentions here in the text. Uh, That in verse 1 Uh, In verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and with one mind. He expresses here immediately that this uh, state that they are in calls them to live in unity, calls them to live at peace with one another. What does it say in the scriptures so far as it is up to you? Live at peace with all men and also pursue peace and sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. So we are to be peacemakers in the church, and we are to strive for humility in the church that unity may express itself. And the word if here, as Paul uses, so if there is any encouragement, this is not an expression of doubt. It is not wishful thinking. It is not that these people don't know the comfort of love and the fellowship of the Spirit and affection and mercy. They know these things. They are acquainted with these things because they're converted. These are things that they have the experience as a part of who they are in Christ Jesus. So Paul's not questioning whether or not they know these things. They do know these things. They've experienced these things. What he would have them to do is to live in them, to walk in them, to bring them to mind day by day, that they may live their lives in unity and in humility, that they know the comfort of love, they know participation of the Spirit, and they know affection and sympathy simply by virtue of the fact that they are converted. And Paul's well aware of this. 
that these people know these things, that these Christians have experienced these things in their lives. And so in Philippians 1, 7, it says, It is right for me to feel this way about you, that uh, you all, because I told you in my heart, for you are, I told you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. They have shared in the grace that Paul experienced. As the apostle Paul was one who came to God, who came to Christ by God's great working, by God's great mercy, by God's great uh, tenderness toward him. And he knows that these Christians here in Philippi have experienced the same things. And he begins to encourage them that these things are theirs in the Lord Jesus Christ. What he wants them to do is recognize these spiritual realities that the idea and the reality of the love and the reality of the union in spirit and the reality of, of sympathy, that they are to live by these moment by moment. And I understand uh, if we looked at the Sermon on the Mount and you look at the Beatitudes, you'll find that some days you do pretty well in matching up to what they say. Uh, you mourn over your sin. You long for heaven. Uh, you are a peacemaker. But there are other times when these things don't describe you at all when we get in rebellion against the Lord. Well, these things that the apostle mentions here are things that we do not always express in our lives as well. They are a consequence of our conversion. They are yours by coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have these things, and yet we are apt to forget the encouragement that we have in Christ. The encouragement to live our lives in hope. The encouragement to be faithful to the Lord. We tend to forget these things at times. We tend to forget that we are united to one another. If Christians understood that they were one in Christ Jesus, then churches would not divide over issues that aren't important. Justification by faith is important. Resurrection of Christ is important. Salvation by grace alone is important. But other things, and most often are behind, churches that split, just aren't that important. And that one I know of most recently, it should have never happened again if we come to grasp the unity that we have in Christ Jesus. And the fact that God desires for us to be characterized by humility. And God desires the unity of the church. That it goes a long way in helping us to live in a way that he would have us live and to be peacemakers. We have a tendency to forget these truths, these things about, uh, Paul says, that are true about us as believers. Uh, that, uh, the, again, um, the uh, consequence of our conversion, knowing Christ, being united in the Spirit and having uh, sympathy and having compassion, these things are ours. But human nature never changes, does it? Suzanne, a lady that used to be here some years ago, Reminding me of that often. Human nature never changes. Taste change. Culture changes. Music changes. All things are in flux in one way or another. Except the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is not. And we will not change until Christ returns. And that which is perishable shall put on the imperishable. We will be glorified at that moment. But until that day comes, we recognize that we will deal with and struggle against sin in our lives. And so these things, again, that Paul mentions, we are apt to forget them. We are apt to lose sight of them. And when we do that... When we fail to remember the unity of the spirit that we have, when we fail to remember the encouragement that we have in Jesus Christ, we live as if we're not believers. And when we reason as non-Christians, 
it brings disaster to our lives and disaster in the church and disaster in the family. Because we forget these things that are ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul lists four motivations for unity. Again, our union in Christ is an encouragement to pursue unity among the believers, that we are one in Jesus. That Tim is a part of the body of Christ. As I am part of the body of Christ, we have been redeemed by the same person. And we are bound to the same place. And we are both liable to the Lord for the way that we conduct ourselves and that we are brothers in the Lord. We tend to forget that. We fall into trouble when we tend, when we do forget that. It is an encouragement that we have in our life based upon the promises of Christ. If we live our lives in the reality of the promises of God, believing them, not questioning them, not doubting the reality of them, not doubting that God loves us more than we can think or imagine, not doubting that Christ has redeemed us from the condemnation of our sins, not doubting that he is with us always, not doubting the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we keep these things in mind, he goes a long way in us conducting ourselves as believers in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, not simply in the church, but also in our homes. It is a great fallacy to think that we win these four walls, that we are bound to live by these things. But as soon as we get outside, we, we know we're not bound by them. We don't have to live by them. And so we have homes where the husband treats their wife in a reprehensible way. But yet it is that they relate to one another, not simply as husband and wife, but as believers. We are one in Christ. That means here. That means at home. That means out in the world. We should always live and recognize that we are living under the love of Christ, that we have encouragement all the time, that we are united through the Spirit of God, and that we therefore know what it is to have sympathy and to have compassion. So one union with Christ here, there's comfort from love, motivation to pursue unity, and to live at peace with one another. Well, then Paul reminds them of these things so that they can live in a way that is appropriate to the Scriptures. Do you ever get tired of hearing about love? In the Bible. You ever get weary of that? He said, you got to talk about that again today. Well, the problem is we tend not to do it. We tend not to express love as we're supposed to. And yet the Bible is full of the fact that we are to be loving one another. It is a duty of the Christian. And the greatest example of that, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. As he loved his disciples, he loved his people to the point of giving himself up on the cross of Calvary. No small thing whatsoever. No small suffering whatsoever. Yet what a great accomplishment was achieved by the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have Jesus saying in John thirteen thirty four, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Not as the world loves, but as I loved you. And so see to it that you love one another in this same fashion. And loving the brethren is an abiding principle in the church. It's an abiding principle. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, love never fails. Now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. But love is the greatest of them all, he says here in the text. In 1 Corinthians 13, Hebrews 10:6, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have sworn, shown toward his name, in that you minister to the saints and do minister. You see the faithfulness there. 
So that as believers, it's not that, well, we showed lacks of love, we're not going to do anything else, that's it, uh, it's over with. But it's a continual, continual seeking to help people, uh, to encourage people, uh, to be involved in the lives of other people. As he says here, the writer of the Hebrews, it was something that they did and they continued to do it because the need was still there. The question as we express love and help others is not, are we tired of it? The question is, is the need still present? And if the need is still present, we have the responsibility to seek to seek to just to um, to help them in that time of need. And it is this: whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Do you hear what that's what that's saying to us, John? In this, again, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. When church is split. And a whole lot of love going on between people. And I'm, this is fresh to mind because of what happened in Hattiesburg. And not a whole lot of love there when that kind of thing is going on. And yet we hear this very clearly. It does not say here in the text, anyone who does not love his brother when times are rough or when they, don't, when they upset you or make you mad, it just simply says anyone who does not love his brother. That's of another brother and sister in the Lord Jesus Christ. First John 3.11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Whoever does not love and abide in love is liable to death. Does that mean anything to you? All right, just another verse in the Bible. It doesn't mean anything to you. If anyone says, I love God and does not love his brother, he is a liar. That's scripture. And this brings us then under conviction for the times that we perhaps held grudges against someone. That someone may have done something to you years ago. And you just can't get past it. You just can't get beyond it. And yet God calls us to leave it behind. God calls us to get over it. If it is a brother or sister that has offended you, you are to forget about it and to move on. Because holding grudges does not promote the unity of the church. It is something that we must let go. It is an aspect of love. Love appears in 1 John 36 times. In that one little short book, 36 times. Well, the second thing then, uh, true Christian unity calls for, uh, true Christian unity calls for unity of thought. Unity in the church is necessary to be like-minded to have unity. Like-minded, as the Apostle Paul says here in the text, being of the same mind. No, what's the, What's the focal point of that unity? What's the focal point of our thinking? It's the gospel. Being of the same mind. Uh, That's not to say we're spiritual clones. You can have independent thoughts as long as they're biblical. But it does mean that in matters that are essential to the soundness of doctrine in the church, we are to think the same thing. In our denomination, there is not unity of thought on some matters. And it's going to come out to to, uh, the forefront in this assembly that meets in Memphis this summer. And the question is, uh, who should be ordained in the PCA? And should we ordain people who have the same sex attraction? Should they be ordained as ministers of the gospel? And I'm convinced they shouldn't be. That's not to say that we berate people who struggle with this. But that's to say, so far as I understand the scriptures, that they are not to be ordained until there is repentance that takes place in the life of the true repentance, where they seek to be walking away from that style of life 
which is so much a part of their being. So uh, there is more than outward conformity. There is an inward conformity of being at one with one another, being of the same mind. You can imagine if you had uh, a John boat. Everybody knows what a John boat is, right? John boat? Aluminum boat. Aluminum boat. You have one person on one side, the other person on the other side, rolling in two different directions. You just go in circles. That's what it's like when the church, when this unity is not expressed as it should be. So unity of thought here, unity in the church is fostered by sharing the same love, by loving one another. By loving Christ and then loving one another as well. And again, at the end of this section, Paul again calls us to unity of thought, being in full accord and of one mind. Why is that? Because it's so terribly important. He says it twice. At the beginning, at the end, be of the same mind. Because when we're not in the church, we have sharp differences. That's not good for the church. And again, I'm not talking about denying the deity of Christ. Mr. Justly, Ed Justly, uh, who was my pastor for 20 years, said one time, you have to decide which hills to die on. That's true. And some things ain't worth dying for. They're just not. But the gospel, the integrity of the gospel and doctrine, certainly those things are worth dying for. The last thing is true Christian unity calls for living selflessly. As he says here in the text, consider others as more important than yourself. What a silly thing is that? Consider others as more important than myself? That means I have to be giving. That means I have to be loving. That means I can't be self-centered. It means I have to be focused on others and the needs of others in the church. And so the person who is me always, who must always have their way, who cannot give in to others because of their pride, that person makes it difficult in the church that they should never be in a position of leadership. Ever, 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 never. Have you ever been on a committee with somebody like that? Terrible. Terrible. So this is something that is generated by pride, and this person is not concerned about others' opinions, their thoughts, and what they want. Sin breeds selfishness. Sin breeds selfishness. And we have that in us. All of us do. We have in us the ability, the tendency to be self-centered and selfish. We all have that. And so it's something that we have to fight against it, right? Have to be on guard against it. Because if we fall into it, number one, we're not pleasing to God. And number two, it can be disastrous to our lives. He says, in humility, regard others as more important than yourself. In humility. Regard others as more important than yourself. He is not talking about here developing some kind of inferiority complex. He's not talking here about being a doormat. He's talking about in humility because of who Christ is and what Christ has done for you. In humility, consider others as more important than yourself. And again, it doesn't mean that we give in no matter what the issue is. But it does mean that we care about the others in the church more than we do ourselves. Listen to 1 Peter 5, 5 and 8. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Clothe yourselves in humility. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxieties on him. Being free from worry. 
being free from thinking I have to get my way of this. I must get this accomplished. I must do this when it's not a matter of principle and when it's not a matter of law as well as far as God's law is concerned. So developing humility is an act of obedience. It's an act of obedience. The proud Christian, unless you're proud of Jesus, that's an oxymoron. The proud Christian, the arrogant Christian is an oxymoron. We are to be, again, characterized by humility in our lives. Well, you will be then concerned for the well-being of others if you're humble. Look out not for your own interest only. We can look out for our interest. We should take care of ourselves. We should see to it that we are doing what we need to do. Uh, we should see to it that we have clothes, we have food, all those kind of things. Look out for your own interest. But also, he says, for the interests of others. That we place them up on the pedestal. That we place them up in a place of high importance in our lives. We are called to care for one another. That means at times you have to get involved in the lives of people. And it may not be easy to do. Caring for one another. How do we do that? How do we care for one another? Well, again, the first thing is you have to love them. That's the first thing. If you don't love somebody, you're not going to care about them. The first thing is to love them in Christ. The second thing, again, is to be humble before the Lord in this. And then whatever their needs are, if you can do so, to meet them. Whether it is emotional, whether it is financial, whatever it may be, that if you can do so, then you seek to meet the needs they have in their lives. This is something that is pleasing to the Lord. Look out, not for only simply your own interest, but also the interest of others. This is the commandment of the Lord. Well, here we ask some questions. And we come to this point toward the end of the sermon. And that is this. Do the things that I do and the way that I treat others and the way that I think, do those things glorify God? Do those things promote peace in the church? Do those things bring unity in the church? Those things pleasing to the Lord when I do them? Or is my attitude and the things that I do simply a matter of destruction in the church in one way or another? You know, we have to realize at home, here, wherever the case may be, words can hurt people badly. They can be discouraging to people. They can cut people. And if we're humble, we are going to see to it that we don't do things and say things that are hurtful to others. We are going to care and seek to minister to those who need it. You know, if you know the love of Christ, if you are a true believer and you know the love of Christ, you're converted and you know him, you're going to do these things because he tells you to. Not that it's easy. Listen, obedience is often not easy. But we have no choice in the matter. We have to put on humility. We have to strive for humility. Pray for it. Because we need it every day. Every day we need it. Because I guarantee it, it doesn't take a whole lot to boost us up in pride. Not a whole lot. It doesn't take a whole lot for us to be self-centered. But it takes us grace for us to be other-centered. So pray for it. Do you know the man, the most humble man who ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know him? If you don't, come to him this morning in faith. Embrace the gospel. 
that Christ may teach you these great things. What it is to be encouraged in the Lord. What it is to have unity in the Spirit. What it is to know mercy and kindness as expressed to us through Jesus Christ. Let's pray.